Hey everyone, uh, thanks for listening to the podcast, and I'm back with another episode. Um, if you have not heard my full story and you're just tuning in for one of the first few times or the first time, uh, go back and listen to um, my four-part series at the beginning of when I started this about how I got into a relationship with a narcissist for a little bit more context. If you're curious to know about my story, I kind of laid it out fairly openly. Um, to give you a couple updates, um, I have court on Tuesday, um, and my ex, if you didn't hear on a, the previous episode, is I don't know if she has a lawyer yet or not, but she's definitely delaying the process. Um, so last I knew, she fired her lawyer. If you want to find out about more details to that, it was on a previous episode. Um, but yeah, so so I still don't know. We have court on Tuesday. I'm about to move into a new home in just around a month. Um a month and a couple days, I'm going to be moving into the upstairs um, apartment of my partner. Um, she owns the home, and I'm going to be moving into the upper for now to kind of merge everything together. But my children have still not been able to meet my ex due to our current agreement that she is delaying changing the wording on to open it up so that my children will be around um, third parties as long as all CDC guidelines are followed. Um, so I think that part of her canceling or firing her lawyer and having to reschedule court was due to the fact that she wasn't getting what she wanted from her lawyer. Um, so again, to anyone going through this or just starting the process of trying to go through a divorce or um, curious as to what's going to happen, um, expect the unexpected. I have a close, close friend of mine who is also going through court with her narcissistic ex, um, met her through the podcast and she's also going through, um, you know, some, some things that have been revealed through her court case, um, that, that has kind of rocked her a little bit and shocked her with the way that her ex is being. Um, but yeah, expect expect your narcissist, if they're not getting what they want from their lawyer, to find a new lawyer and find a new lawyer and find a new lawyer. <laughs> like this is, this is a crazy message, but um, just expect it. It makes it a little bit easier when you're anticipating it. You never know when it's going to happen and it's still shocking, but just expect it. Um, yeah, which brings us to our current episode, um, hoovering, um, hoovering is a subject that, um, I think is a really big one for me, and it played out a lot for me in keeping me, um, restrained, really, in the relationship, um, <clears throat> throughout the course of the relationship, there were a lot of trauma bonds that were created, there were a lot of, um, seeds planted um, in my own head that was really 
changing my personality, really um, giving me a more defeatist type mentality. Um, and it was really difficult to exit uh, the relationship, especially the longer it went on. Um, the longer a relationship with a narcissist goes on, the more lifelines they cut from you. Um, they start cutting those relationships that you have that are strong or solid, um, picking them away, picking them apart piece by piece into where you just um, don't feel comfortable talking to your close relationships anymore, friendships, um, you know, family members, uh, whatever it is, um, because they want you isolated. And as they isolate you, they're creating more trauma. They're creating more bonds. Um, they're whittling away at your, your self-worth, your value, your self-esteem, um, to where when you do find the strength and you do find the courage to try to exit um, a relationship with said narcissist, um, they will um, bring up these traumatic events, they will bring up these things that you've done, um, they will first attack you um, and make you feel horrible and guilt you and shame you, um, belittle you for leaving, either for leaving them or for all the things that you've you know, done to them, um, fuck you for doing whatever it is that you, you know, they perceive that you've done to them to hurt them. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a fuck you, I love you, don't leave me type thing. Um, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, don't leave me, please, 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 I promise I'll change, I'll promise I'll change. Um, I'll seek out help, I'll seek out counseling, I'll go to a therapist, uh, whatever it might be, um, they'll they'll pull out all strings, <clears throat> and simultaneously, if this goes on long enough, and you don't get out the first time, the second time, or the third time, all those people that you reach out to, when you're trying to leave, will eventually just kind of give up on you, because they don't know what else to do, because they've seen it happen so many times. And you've been sucked right back in so many times. <clears throat> it's hard to, even harder to get out because your relationships are now broken with other people. Those bridges are burned, or you feel like those bridges are burned, or you're afraid to reach out to them, but they're still there. They just don't reach out to you because they're scared to. I know my sister was a huge rock for me. Um, she was scared to reach out to me. She didn't know when she was allowed to reach out to me. My parents, my, you know, all my sisters, really. I have three of them. None of them really knew how to or when to reach out to me. Um, sometimes they would send me almost cryptic messages, just kind of, uh, hey, I'm thinking about you. I love you. And that's it, because they didn't know if my ex would be reading my phone. They didn't want to say anything that was going to be incriminating, that was going to cause an argument. Um, you know, I've had friends come to visit me from across the country that will never come back to visit me while I was with her because of, you know, the damage that, that she would create while they would come to visit or the way she would talk to me or um, things like that. So, so as you become isolated, the Hoover becomes a really strong technique. Um, 
I think the first time, the first time I tried to leave her was, was when I still lived in Nevada. Um, and I mean, even, even early on, we were creating trauma. We were creating these, these bonds and the little things like, why do you never stick up for me? Why do you never defend me to your friends? Um, you know, those, those types of things. Why are you always sticking up for everyone else, but you never defend me? You never stick up for me. You never, you know, you're not strong enough to be there for me when they were clearly in the wrong. She was clearly in the wrong in a lot of these scenarios. Um, but at the same time, I felt like I had to defend this person that I didn't feel like was worth defending. And so then it just came across as disingenuine. My friends got weird. My family got weird about it. And it just didn't seem like me because it wasn't me. It was like I was a vessel and I had become this messenger, messenger for my ex. Um, yeah, so the first time I tried to leave is when the bonds were already there and it was really hard. Um, she was pregnant and she was you know, yelling at me. We had a huge fight. I don't even remember what the fight was about at this point or why it started. Um, but I remember she hit me. Um, she punched me in the face. Um, I left, um, and then, you know, she had enough dirt on me because she was pregnant and I was going to leave her when I was pregnant. I, I can't kick her out of the house because we were living together, um, with no place to go, no job. Um, she stopped working when we started dating and never went back to work and then would say, you know, things like, you know, you're going to leave me you didn't want me to work and now I'm not working, which I never told her I didn't want her to work. I would take her to job interviews. I would drive her around to job interviews to try to get her a job. Um, <clears throat> but I did tell her that until she found a job, I made enough money to support her. Um, then she got pregnant and then she just kind of stopped looking for a job. Um, and you know, throughout it, there was little minor things that, you know, a normal person wouldn't really, a normal relationship, it wouldn't mean that much, but, you know, like, how am I going to work when I have a kid? How am I going to, how am I going to support myself? How am I going to support myself? And of course, you know, the, when it's worded the right way, it kind of comes across as offensive and it's like, hey, like, I'm here, like, I can support you, you know, without thinking about it without thinking about the fact that they're completely unstable and toxic and are going to use that against you in the future. Um, so then it comes to a point to where, um, you know, I was already bonded at that point. You know, she didn't have an apartment. She knew nobody in Nevada. Um, she wasn't making friends. Shocker. Um, and so then I stayed in it and we had another fight. Um, you know, and, and I, I started to feel guilt and shame. So instead of her taking responsibility for attacking me, it was my fault. And the fact that I would even remotely think about breaking up with her and leaving her with no job, pregnant, um, was 
way too much. That was that was way too much for me to try to leave. So at that point, it was just guilt, guilt, shame, shame. And then I found myself apologizing when she never apologized for punching me in the face. Um, she hit me three times, real quick. Um, and she never apologized for that. <clears throat> she didn't need to because I was the asshole. She had demoralized me enough at that point to to make me feel like I was the asshole. Um, and then the second time um, I was playing a concert. I think I talked about that on a previous episode too. Um, I was in a band. We were playing a concert at a strip club. Um, probably not the best scenario, um, but it was a really big thing. It was on the radio. Um, it was going to be a really big concert. Um, I was completely faithful. I was completely loyal. I never gave her any reason to question what I'd do. Um, you know, I was a bartender and everything else, and I'd, I made a good living bartending in Vegas. Um, but, um, I mean, she was just completely, basically, wait, very, very jealous. But I, I mean, because it was at a strip club, yes, I understand how that could be nerve-wracking but you know I offered for her to go many 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 times and she was like three months pregnant at the time so she wasn't showing but she was like I'm not gonna go to a bar pregnant I'm not gonna go to a strip club pregnant I'm not that trashy blah 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 <clears throat> but I was offering for her to go um, so that she could witness um, how I interact with people how I communicate how I am a loyal person that can be trusted but upon my arrival um but before i left actually we got in a huge fight about it and i was like i, I kind of grew up in a i think part of my core is is just kind of you know stick to your roots type thing um and the show must go on you know i grew up in theater i grew up playing in, in bands um, no matter what the show must go on i had a bassist blow his knee out on stage and then we played the rest of the show without a bassist um <laughs> we continued playing um no matter what like if there's a will there's a way type thing um <clears throat> the show must go on that's just kind of how i've always been that's my mentality um and i'm not going to let somebody no matter how controlling and abusive they were i wasn't going to let her tell me you know that I couldn't play this concert that was already, you know, there was a lot of money invested in it. This this venue um, paid a bunch of money um, to get people to, to to get people back in their bar. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so I was kind of invested. I wasn't gonna bail. We were the headlining band, so I played. Um, and because we got in such a big fight, she, I recognized my shirt was cut. Um, when I was at the concert, we were backstage and my bassist was like, dude, what's on your shirt? Is that a hole? And I looked down and there was a hole. And, um, yeah, so basically I found out she cut my shirt. She had told me in the past that she had cut shirts before. Um, she was going to school for fashion design, so I know she had the scissors to do so, the fabric scissors. Um, so I was pissed. I didn't go home. I came back home the next day. I stayed the night at my friend's house. Um... <clears throat> came back the next day didn't tell her I was home she came into the living room and saw me and turned into a huge fight she threw her phone at me split my knit lip it started gushing blood everywhere um, it was bad um, 
but it was my fault. It was my fault she threw the phone at me. It was my fault that all this had happened because there was enough there to blame on me and the fact that she's pregnant and that I didn't show up and that all these things, you know, and I get back to my clothes and they were all cut. All my shirts were cut, every concert t-shirt and everything else. So I know I've talked about this before, but I wanted to leave her then. But, you know, we had enough of a, enough incidents of trauma and bonds and like, well, you did something wrong. I did something wrong. Let's fix this. You did something wrong. I did something wrong. You know, it was always like, it was never just like a, no, you're fucked up. It was always like, I, I always gave her enough to stay in it. There was enough of a reason for me to blame myself at that point, And she'd convinced me so much that I'm just this horrible person, that I'm just all these things that she's basically <clears throat> pushing on to me um, and giving me these personality traits and finding the faults and forcing them upon me or just straight projection of what she is onto me, um, which I started to figure out later. But so I didn't leave her. I should have. I should have left her then, you know, and after that, my all my friendships went really south after that because, you know, at that point, once I apologize, she's, you know, now you're going to have to change things. Then she gets on a pedestal. Now that I hoovered you back in, and now you're not leaving me, and you're confessing to all these things that you've done wrong, now we've established the game. Now you know where your place is, and it's beneath me, and this is what we're going to do. You know, type attitude. Um, you need to change this about you. You need to change that about you. Your friends suck. You know, this sucks, that sucks. You know, you're this, you're that. And at that point, I had already apologized. At that point, I'd already had enough guilt and enough shame hurled upon me that I felt so horrible. And then looking back, she never apologized for cutting my clothes. She never apologized for ruining hundreds of dollars of, of concert t-shirts that I can never get back. Um, so, but then I, I mean, and it's like, well, I'm here. This is where I'm at. I'm stuck, you know? So then a few weeks later when she threw the, I'm moving to New York, my mom already bought me a plane ticket. You can either come with me or be a scumbag and pay child support for the rest of your life. Um, that was another moment where, um, you know, the wording, those little things, you know, I think I'm going to do an episode on it um, called Death by a Thousand Paper Cuts. But, um, <laughs> you know, just the little cutting words, the little cutting words, like you could just, you can stay here and be a scumbag and pay child support the rest of your life, or you can come with me, you know, so when it's worded to you like that, you know, you don't recognize, I mean, unless you know, like I was, I was being given an ultimatum. I had to leave my entire life, all my friends, everything I had built, um, to be with her, to be with someone that I didn't even really want to be with, but I also didn't want to be away from my child. So I was hoovered in, pulled away, sucked away from everything I knew, sucked away from my family, my friends, anyone that there was any lifeline to brought to the other side of the country to have this child so she could be around her support system and leave me with nothing. So now I'm isolated. Now I'm on an island. I remember when we moved there, it just got worse. The abuse got worse. The shaming got worse. The guilting got worse. The attacks on my, my character got worse. Um, it got to a point where I just didn't know what to do. I had a 
friend in Detroit at the time. Um, he was my best friend growing up. Um, I would call him. Um, I remember at that point, I mean, this was so long ago, I had a flip phone, and I remember one time I left in the middle of the winter. I just left the house, and I called him from a payphone. We still had payphones. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't that. I mean, it was 2008, I think, when this was happening, 2009 maybe. Um, yeah, it had to have been 2008. Um, called him from a payphone to come pick me up, and he was in Detroit, and... He said he was going to, and I was so afraid to go back to that apartment, I slept in the basement next to the washer and dryer <coughs> and just found a blanket that was down there for who knows how long that I don't even know whose it was. It was one of the other tenants probably, and just slept like in the you know murky basement, hiding behind like a dryer in a corner where she couldn't see me. Um, and then I went back to the payphone to call him in the morning. Um, to see where he was or when he would be there and he told me that his partner told him not to come and he refused you know uh, support to me because she told him not to um, and this was something that wasn't his problem um, he apologized um, I know he didn't want to do that he ended up leaving her shortly before I ended up leaving my partner too. So, I mean, he was kind of going through similar things. Luckily, he <clears throat> um, doesn't have children with her, but he got married to her and yada, yada, yada. But I think the two of them were, you know, cut from a similar cloth. I don't know if it was an exact cloth or not. I don't know if she was a full-blown narcissist, but um, just from the stories that he's told me, I, I feel like that was you know, potentially the case, or at least um, some some sort of um, issues she had going on, but, you know, because he was being controlled too, like, we were both not really in any position to be supporting each other. I had nothing. I had no way to get out, so then, fuck, he's not coming, so I go back upstairs, and, you know, and she's, at that point, like, where have you been? Fuck you, blah, 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 and just got worse um, and I just apologized and she just got on more of a pedestal and more control <clears throat> and I just lost another lifeline knowing I can't reach out to that person they won't be there for me um, then, I don't know a few months later it happened again I called my parents this time um, I left and called my parents this time from a payphone and they told me to get my bags, pack my bags, um, and that my aunt, they spoke to my aunt, and she was going to buy me a bus ticket. But this was the only time they were going to do this for me. If I wanted to come back home, they would buy me a bus ticket. But if I stay there, they're never going to do this for me again. Um, and that was terrifying. Um, I go back upstairs and I started packing. And when I first started packing, she didn't take me seriously. And she was just berating me and, fuck you, you're such a piece of shit. You're going to walk out on your family. You're going to leave me with no job. You're going to make me raise this kid by myself. Um, she started throwing things at me. I remember her throwing a glass cup at me. She started slapping me, scratching me um, as I was packing up my stuff. Um, and then when she realized, like, oh, shit, he's really, really leaving, 
I turned and I said, I got a bus ticket. My parents and my aunt bought me a bus ticket. I'm going to go back to New Mexico until I can figure out what's going on. And then all of a sudden she started crying and begging me to stay. I don't know what I'm going to do without you. I love you. Please don't leave me. Please don't leave this family. Why would you do this? And just waterworks, just crying. Um, as I got closer to the door, I was very much determined at this point to get out of that house. Then she physically grabbed onto my leg, um, and I was basically dragging her across the ground, and she was holding onto my leg like a child, you know, um, would sit on like their parents' leg and let them like walk around, you know. She was gripped on, wrapped around with her legs and her arms around my leg crying, <clears throat> begging that she would change, that she would do better, that she wouldn't be so hard on me, that she would do all these things for me. I love you. I love you. Please don't do this to me. I love you so much. I don't want to lose you. I can't lose you. I can't lose you. I don't know what I'll do without you. I'll fucking kill myself. Please, please, please. Um, and I just kind of stopped in my tracks and I just broke down crying because I'm just, you know, <clears throat> All of a sudden, I'm relevant again. All of a sudden, all these things that she's saying to me, maybe she doesn't mean them. Maybe she really does love me. Maybe she's going to change. So she hoovered. She, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I love you. Don't leave me. Please, you mean so much to me. I'll change. I'll change. I'll do better. I'll do better. And then once the bus came and went, so did that attitude, and so did another lifeline. I was hoovered again. Every time it seemed like it would get more dramatic. Um, there was another time I tried to leave just to clear my head a few months after that, just to, to drive around, just to get out of the house because she was attacking me and I couldn't stand it, and I tried to go down the stairs. Um, she chased me out the door, and I think she was pretty pregnant at this point. She had to have been eight months or so. Um, I didn't. I wasn't. I, I honestly like at that point. I'm like, I'm not even going to attempt to escape this relationship because I had no lifelines. But I just needed to get out. I needed to get out of the house. I needed to be away from her for a second. It was the middle of winter. I don't know, 11, 12 p.m. Really late at night. Whatever it was. Um, Might have even been like one or two. Who knows? I mean. Um, I just, the only thing I remember is her chasing me out of the house, out of the apartment. Um, I got to the car. I ran. I was running because I knew she was chasing me. I got in the car. I started the car. I went to back up and she was trying to unlock the door. I locked the doors as soon as I got in the car and she was trying to open the door and she was beating on the window, screaming at me and I backed out and she was like, I'm not letting go of this door handle. And so I slowly backed out and I was like, let go, let go. And she was like, no, no, no. And I think all the trauma and all the anger and all the rage of like her control and her abuse on me like built up and I just took off. I just started going and she she legitimately didn't let go of the door and she fell, slipped on ice. Um, I saw her fall and then she was holding her stomach. I think she was playing it up a little bit, but I don't want to be, I mean, even saying that out loud seems really mean. Um, but I think it's hard to have a lot of empathy for somebody 
even when you're a very empathetic person for somebody who's treated you so poorly, especially in those moments. Um, in that moment, I was so full of rage that she was not letting me leave. And it's like, how fucking dare you come down here when you're pregnant and try to use that as a wedge to keep me from finding some sanity. Like, I felt like I was going insane. And I was like, fuck you, I'm leaving. And, and she slipped and she fell. And of course, I slammed on the brakes. I got out. I was like, what happened? What happened? Fuck you, blah, blah, blah. How dare you do this to me? You did this to me. And it's like, uh, no, you followed me out here. If you kill this baby, you know, that kind of thing. And I mean, I saw her fall. And she kind of landed on her knees and her butt. Um, not to say that the, the trauma from in the impact couldn't have hurt. I'm sure it hurt, but it wasn't because I was trying to hurt her. I was trying to escape so no more damage could be done. And she was chasing the drama. She was chasing the pain. She was chasing. She was willing to put her body at risk to keep me controlled and then turn around and blame me for it. And I did. And then I did feel guilty. Then I did feel shame. Then I did feel all these things that she was telling me that it was my fault, even though I always knew she was the cause for it. Um, at the same time, I still didn't have to drive away. I still didn't have to put my foot on the gas pedal, you know? So it's like these, these, these situations, these trauma bonds, you know, that are created that leave you feeling so empty and hollow and with no self-esteem, with no self-worth and the pain and the suffering that they inflict like that just there's just so many situations that just don't need to be but they get you hooked because of the guilt and because of who they are you know i mean so i ended up staying um started to establish myself i started to build friends i finally escaped one time um and i was gone for a few months actually um and I was still seeing my child on a as much as I can basis, but she was, you know, using me to go party, using me to go, um, I mean, this is a few years later. My son at this point was, I think it was a while before I tried leaving again. My son was probably three at this point. Um, there was a lot of things that happened in between, a lot of accusations, a lot of violence. Um, you know, she pulled a knife on me. She threw more things at me. I got a facial fracture. Um, just, um, but again, I didn't have a lifeline. I didn't have a lifeline. I didn't have a lifeline. All my lifelines were shot. I was, I was screwed. Finally got a good job. Had a very close friend of mine. He walked into his, well, not walked into, but he was in a situation where his grandmother um, <clears throat> was put in a nursing home. And so he was house sitting for her for, basically indefinitely. Uh, to my knowledge at that point um, and she um, yeah she yeah she was in a I don't, I don't even remember um, so I just had so many random thoughts about this guy and how great he was um, but he let me move in there if I wanted to so I did and during that time I found out she was you know cheating on me and I, I mean 
if you listen to the previous episodes, you'd know, you know, there was a lot of, um, you know, cheating that happened. Um, she had an abortion that this guy paid for, which I didn't find out until I moved out, but, um, I did leave. I did exit and I had to exit when she was gone. Um, she was with her mom and they went out of town for a couple days. And in that time I just packed a couple bags and I moved out. And then I told her I wasn't coming back. And then I moved in with someone else. Um, I had to do it when she wasn't there so she wouldn't hoover me. But then we have a child together. And then it's still the constant guilt, the constant shame, the constant calling, the everyday begging. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Well, because you cheated on me. I didn't cheat on you. I've already told you. I've already told you. And just the back and the forth and calling 10 times a day, 20 times at night, like, you know, constant text messages, just, just harassment, just straight harassment, begging, 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 anything to be relevant in my life, anything to, to stay relevant. And I allowed and I still answered her call, and I still would jump to the call, and still answer the phone. She knew that I cared. She knew that I was a caring person, and I fed right into it. Everything says go no, con no contact or little contact, and all I did was every time she called, I jumped. I would say how high, but I'm not moving back in, but I'll, but I'll be there for my kid. I'm off. I'm going to be there. Second I get off work, I'm driving there till he goes to sleep, then I'm driving back to the other house. And I kept this up for a while. Um, you know, and then it just got to a point where it just got harder and harder and harder. His grandmother ended up, you know, moving back in um, with, like, you know, nursing care at the house, so I couldn't live there. So he had me move in with his parents just to kind of keep me away from being with her, so I ended up moving with this, with this guy's parents. You know, I'm like in my early 30s, living with somebody's parents, maybe late 20s, but still, it was it was uncomfortable. It was a really far distance. It wasn't that, didn't make that much sense. Um, I felt like I was, I was overstaying my welcome. I was there for like two or three months, um, and, and it was wearing thin on me a lot um, because I was with my son or at work until nighttime, until sometimes 10, 11, 12, before I would get home. And the whole time she's there um, hoovering me, you know, the whole time she's on her best behavior, being so nice to me, asking me about my day, trying to play this perfect housewife type role um, for months, for two months, three months, um, feeding into my previous um, episode I don't think I went into this part of it, but as far as like the sexual manipulation and everything else, um, you know, there was a couple nights in a row where she would just kept getting closer to me and more friendly. And then she went um, down on me. One of the only like two times she's ever gone down on me. And she said, if you move back in, I'll do this to you every night. I'll do this every night for you. I'll do anything you want, just move back in, I'll do this every night. So as she's giving me oral, she's telling me how much she loves doing this for me and how much she loves me and how much she wants to be with me, knowing that it was something that she doesn't do, knowing that it's something that she hates, and knowing that this is how much I mean to her is that she'll do, she'll do this for me and she'll do it because she loves me 
and she does love doing it and all this stuff. And then it never happened again. Um, but it hooked, you know, it hoovered me back in. Maybe she is changing. Wow, if she's willing to do this, then maybe she is willing to change. Like, and I never told her that I liked it. I never told her that this is what I need her to do. Like, I've never, I never, I never discussed sex with her after sex. Like, never. I just, it was weird. Like, we didn't discuss sex unless we were doing it. But then when we were, she would bring up these things, you know. Um, I mean, looking back at it, I see a lot. But um, I think she just knew that it was something that she didn't do and that she withheld purposefully. Um, and I think she just kind of used it to pull out when she wanted to use that as a weapon. And I think that she used her sexuality as a weapon um, to get what she wanted. Um, and it worked. It worked a lot. I mean, um, but yeah, that that was one of the big hoovers. Um, then I didn't leave. Then I went and got my stuff out of the other house, and I moved back in, and I burned another bridge. Um, and then at one point, it wasn't until years later, we ended up getting married after that because I basically surrendered, like, well, this is my life. This is my life. This is where I'm at. I better make the most of it. I've got to show her that I care. And I tried doing the whole song and dance for many, many years. Um, there were times where I'd leave the house after abuse and stay the night with a friend. Um, and her, you know, incessant calls and calls and calls, please come back, please come back. I love you. I love you. Um, where I tried to escape, but I didn't really have any strong foothold. You know, I tried to be strong. I tried to, like, make it work. I would try to, like, stay at a friend's house and see, like, hey, how long can I crash on their couch? Um, but it was just the, the barrage of phone calls and text messages and, and guilting and shaming for leaving her with the son and no job. And, you know, she was fully capable of working. She was very able-bodied. I promoted her working all the time. Anytime she would talk about being broke, it's like, well, you can get a job. Like, and I would say it nicely. I wasn't a dick about it. You know, you could get a job. You could do that. <laughs> you know, um, I'd help support you. Well, I'm not going to work a job just for childcare. That's stupid. Like my job would, then I'd be paying for childcare and I don't want to put my kid in childcare, you know, because narcissists want full control and they want full control of their kids. And they don't want other people teaching their kids anything because they want to be able to manipulate and control their minds in every single way possible. Just throwing that out there. That's a side note. So, <clears throat> yeah, so then I ended up moving out again with a guy who had also just gone through a divorce. Um, wasn't a great situation. Um, he didn't give me great advice. He was down on his luck. Um come to find out he was a little bit of an alcoholic um he definitely had his own issues which I was a co-worker it was a co-worker of mine and I didn't realize how bad he really was but um he was bad um I think she left him and after living with him for two or three months I realized that wasn't a situation that I wanted to be involved with um he got in a fight with his brother over something real stupid and like slapped his brother in the face um and I had to like interject between the two of them. And it's like, holy shit, how am I living like this? How am I living <laughs> this life where I'm sleeping on some dude's couch 
And when he did that to his brother, it's like, yeah, that's probably what he's probably an abuser. And then that triggered me and I didn't want to be around him. I didn't want to be in that situation. So I had to get out, but I had nowhere to go. Where do I go? Back to my abuser. It's either I'm with this guy that's an abuser or with this girl that's an abuser. I just didn't have a support system. And I tried and I tried to fit a square peg into a round hole and escape. And the whole time I was gone for those two months, I mean, I was living an hour away from where my kids were, and I still wasn't showing up until late at night because I was still being hoovered into being around my kids, which is, I want to be around my kids, but it was just guilt, 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 guilt. You know, you're never around, you know, and I was. I would wake up, I'd go to work, go see my kids, and she was there monitoring, watching my every move, playing the nice housewife, and, and waiting until I moved back in. Because she knew I would, you know, I mean, and it was just this game of, you know, and every time, you know, sexuality would get brought into it, the longer I was gone too. And it was just like, I mean, there was one point when I wasn't living there that she was like, I know I could get you back. She was like, if I just, you know, if I just fucked you right now, all of this would go away. Like, I know you want me. Like, I know I can get whatever I need to out of you, whatever I want it. So if I want to fuck you, I can just take off my clothes and tell you to fuck me and you'll do it. And then you move back in. But I want you to move back in because you want to move back in, not just because I have sex with you. Like, so she would say these things to me, like, very arrogant. But, you know, there was times like that, that it did end up working, but it wasn't because of necessarily, I think her sexuality necessarily but it was like oh maybe she's changed maybe she does care about me uh, mine was more on an emotional level when she was viewing it as me just being this sexual creature or this sexual deviant and blah 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 but realistically I was thinking if she's willing to be kind and she's willing to do this and she's willing to show because my love language is physical I do enjoy touch I do enjoy like even if it's hand holding or whatever um, I like snuggling I'm weird I know I do, um, but, um, you know, and I, and I had that withheld from me, and she knew that was my love language, and she would withhold it all the time. Um, she would make me do all the, you know, rubbing her back every night, scratching her back, you know, doing all these things. I needed to be touching her all the time, but she would never reciprocate type thing until she wanted to hoover me in. Um, then she would play nice and try to be affectionate and try to do all the things she already knew that I liked to try to woo me back in. And it, and it worked because I was isolated. If I wasn't isolated and I had a support system and I was able to, to stay afloat in a, you know, positive environment, I would have. I think the last time I moved out was it and I was going to make it work no matter what. And I did end up making it work. So... But the Hoover is a really dangerous game, and it's a really dangerous situation. Um, and, and to defeat it, you have to be really strong, and you have to see what's going on, and you have to know what's going on. And when there's, the longer the relationship goes, and the more bonds, the more trauma bonds, the more dirt they have against you, and the more they've isolated you, the harder and harder and harder it is. Finding a strong support system and finding 
those people that were your support system even, bringing them back into your life. I think that's a huge reason why I was able to successfully get out this last time was because I wasn't catering to her phone calls. I wasn't catering to her text messages. I basically blocked her. I mean, I did block her at different points and told her I would only communicate with her via email. Um, and I was calling my sister every night. I mean, I don't know how she did it. <laughs> I don't know how she was so tolerant and so patient. And I just would vent for hours every night. And I was like, I was always telling her new stories she didn't know. And it was always shocking to her. And she's like, what? She did what? When? Like, I'm <laughs> just like, it was, it was crazy. Uh, but if I didn't have her as a support system and my roommate at the time, um, he was not present. He was never there. And I think that was probably for the best. Um, I needed to just have a strong support system. And I don't think he was that. He wasn't an emotional, deeply intellectual person. He wasn't that in touch with his emotions. When things got too serious, he would just try to play it off like everything was great. Everything was fine. Um, but at the same time, the fact that he wasn't there and that I had the place essentially to myself, I think really helped solidify my decision and kind of gave me clarity. Um, I wasn't too far away from my kids. Um, and although there was a lot that I needed to work out, I think I set up a boundary and guidelines that last time that were strong enough for her to say, okay, he's not coming back this time. So, yeah, if you feel it and you feel that there's hoovering happening, um, even if you're out of the relationship, there's still going to continue to be hoovering happening if you're not going no contact or minimum contact. If you're answering the phone call every time, if you're answering the text messages quickly, responding fast, allowing them to still control parts of your life, you're allowing them to hoover. You're allowing them to come back and that they know they're relevant, they know they're important. Every time you answer that phone, every time you respond to that text message quick, instantly, you know that they still, they know that they still have you on a very tight leash. And they're just, in their mind, pretending like you're going out and doing things, but they know that if they need you, you're there immediately. <sighs> they just wanna be relevant. They want you, whether it's positive or negative, they want your thoughts, they want to be in your thoughts. They want to be the main thing controlling your thoughts, controlling your day. And if they can derail your day or derail your life in any way until they get you back, they will. So um, just beware the hoovering, beware all the different tactics and techniques that could be coming out of the woodworks from any direction, you know. Um, and that's the main, <laughs> that's the main topic of the day, so. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, yeah, feel free to go back and listen to some of my other podcasts over gaslighting um, and my story. Um, I appreciate everyone for your support. Um, have a good day, and I'll hope to speak to you very soon.